Welcome to the In No Relation NFL podcast. Matt, we got our unbelievable playoff game, postseason game, Super Bowl that we we're hoping for. Unreal, right? It kind of made it all worth it, you know, that we've all been moaning and complaining that uh, we thought we were going to have great matchups and never happened, and wow, this was unforgettable. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all want to call things the best, but when a team comes back from 25, especially the favorite, comes back from 25 and scores 31 unanswered points, and it's the first time this thing goes to overtime, that has to be considered the best, right? I have to think so. I mean, uh, there's been some great ones, but none that were as gripping, memorable, epic, not to mention Brady's legacy you mix in and unfortunately the the heartbreak that the Falcons fans and never been there before and obviously team and staff and ownership and you know Arthur Blank's on the sideline ready to dance and you know I mean it's uh, it, it was you could hardly write a, a different script I mean if I told you that's what happened nobody would believe it or if you turned it into a movie company or a, you know somebody's building a a film or a TV show, they'd be like, sorry, this is too unrealistic. We can't do it. Yeah, I think you make a good point about the celebration of the Falcons because they had a long time to think about it. It wasn't like this game was, like, it was, you know, point for point, and they're, hey, we can win this game. It's like, holy crap, but we are going to win this game. Yeah, You know, it's 28-3 to late in the third. They're starting to think about that stuff. And I'm sure all that the Falcons... You know, whoever's in charge of the parade is starting to work on that stuff, and it just blew up in their face, so it's even worse. Right, and you're a fan sitting there watching Lady Gaga in this long halftime thinking, let's just get this game over with, and we're going you know, to be dancing in the streets, and first one ever, right. and Matt Ryan's the greatest, and we have the best coach. You know, we're going to build this dynasty, and it's our turn now, and hey, those things still may happen, and there was a lot of good things to take away from the Falcons' performance, obviously, but just amazing circumstances. And I very much believe that if they play that last ten minutes a hundred times, that's probably the most outrageous outcome of the hundred. You know I mean? Or at least the most advantageous to the Patriots' outcome of those hundred attempts. Yeah, and it was, I mean, we can talk about this so many different ways, but, you know, I, I was sitting there with, with buddies, and when they're driving to make it 28 to 20 or 28 to 18, they had to get, they had to get these two, two pointers, too. You're thinking, well, you know what? This quietly might become an interesting game. It, it, it wasn't a good game until it was a good game. It was similar to that championship game we just saw with Clemson, Alabama. That was an epic game, but it snuck up on us, and this thing did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, there was a couple places where you go, hmm, okay, maybe this isn't over. <laughs> you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm open to the fact that maybe this becomes somewhat interesting, but Atlanta's still going to win. You know, come on. And then, you know, basically I would say at the high tower strip sack, I was saying, oh, boy, you know, the Falcons yeah. are in trouble. Yeah, that right about then. Yeah, but I, um, you know, but the Julio Jones catch that that really was the Falcons' last great play. You say, all right, you know, this is going to go their way, and it, you know, I know Kyle Shanahan's getting a lot of heat, and and he's 
he's taking it on himself, and he's admitted that he thinks he kind of blew it. I mean, is this going to... This guy's going to have his press conference in San Francisco in two days. It's all anybody's going to want to talk about. And that's too bad because I don't think this ruins him as a coach, right? But do you think he's taking too much heat? A long way to ask that question, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think our society is flawed in a lot of ways, obviously. But one thing is when something happens you don't like, you just immediately go to place blame, and it has to be somebody's yeah. fault. And, boy, it has to be the coaching staff's fault. They got outcoached, and Belichick's a better coach, and they screwed it up. And, honestly, I mean, if they call that game exactly the same, if Shanahan does exactly the same thing 95 out of 100 times, we're not talking about it the next day. You know, I mean, you get away right. with it a lot of the time. Um, it's not his fault that Devontae Freeman can't pick up a blitz. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. you could argue, boy, we should be conservative here, but you got to remember, I mean, there's a couple factors. First of all, this is the best offense in the league. You know, you're, you're not a sit-on-your-hands type of offense. That's not what got you here. Also, in the second half, they ran the ball nine times for 18 yards. So it wasn't like they would have – a whole heck of a lot of faith in their running game at that point because it wasn't right. working. And, you know, New England was playing much better in that department, and that's something you've seen from the Patriots. Two weeks of preparation was these guys are good against the run, and it was starting to really come up in a big way. If we're going to go down, let's go down guns a-blazing. And everyone would be saying Shanahan's a genius if, you know, one more completion happens their way. My complaint, and I guess Ryan, Matt Ryan is somewhat to blame for that, is – I thought they should have been more uh, time management conscious basically from the start of the second half on. There's, use the play clock. You know, play slower. You can still be aggressive and throw down field, but eat more clock. I mean, at that point, your your biggest enemy is the clock, even, you know, at the start of the third quarter. And I didn't think they were great about that. And to be honest, neither were the Patriots. You know, the Patriots had some long, sustained drives. It wasn't like they were in hurry up from you know the, se- the, se- you know, the second they got out there in the second half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly that might have been a different approach. But as you're talking, and I'm thinking, you know, the Falcons were acutely aware of what could happen as well, or what did happen. They they knew that the Patriots could score quickly and could come back and and win that game. So they're just trying to score more points, right? I mean, if they're not running the ball, they're throwing. They're just trying to make things happen. They weren't trying to lose, and and I give them credit for that. You know, if they if they just ran the ball and ran the ball and didn't work and they didn't throw the ball, everybody say, well, they got too conservative. They they play not to win. So right, you're right. right. I think it goes back show. to everybody just likes placing blame. And yeah, exactly. It, I mean, I kind of that's what I'm thinking too. Is has to be Shanahan's fault. It has to be Quinn's fault. I mean, there's a strong argument that after Julio makes an unbelievable catch, you run it, you run it, you eat clock, and even if you don't gain anything, you kick the field goal and probably put the game out of reach unless New England mm-hmm. can do something crazy on an onside kick or whatever. But still, right. I mean, being up 16 isn't a two-score game. You know, I mean, two-point conversions don't grow on trees. You know, I mean, that's right. still an epic uh you know, an, an, an epic adventure for the the Patriots to score two touchdowns and two point, two two point conversions just to tie you. You know, without you ever scoring again the rest of the game too. So, 
Um, I don't know. I mean, this society is going to act that way that, boy, Shanahan screwed it up. He cost us the Super Bowl. It's not one person's fault, and it certainly wasn't Matt Ryan's fault. Right, and and I think, and, and that's part of the, the beauty of, of the Patriots' comeback was they did have so many mountains to climb, and I was a bunch of people just basically just wanted the party to continue, just wanted to see overtime. So they get the touchdown to 18. Well, crap, they have to get this two-pointer. They got the two-pointer. Then they get the ball back, score, they have to score, they score, and then, crap, they have to get a two-pointer. I mean, it wasn't easy at all. And so for everybody to say the Falcons choked and the Patriots, and I got this on Twitter, Patriots didn't win that game. Those guys gave it away. No, no, the Patriots did something incredible. Right. Yeah, and they figured things out. They made adjustments. Um, Atlanta. And they never failed, and they had no room for for error, and they didn't err. Right, and you know the defense at the end of the day let up 21 points. You know, I mean, if you take the pick six out of the equation, yeah. I mean, if you're any New England fan in the world, and I told you Saturday or Sunday going into that game, your defense is going to allow 21 points. That's pretty damn impressive. You know, that, that's a good job by that defense. And, and it wasn't even like Ryan or Julio or those guys played poorly. They, they certainly didn't. They were dominant from the start. Um, I still think without question the biggest feature of that game, the most important thing, was just the defense being out there for 93 plays. You know, I mean, that's a yeah. game and a half. And yeah. not to mention that you have that super long halftime and you know you're you're not used to things to begin with and you come out and you got to deal with Brady and not only are you out there so long and you're so tired and mentally fatigued but every snap gives him a little another piece of the puzzle you know gives him a little bit more data on what you guys are doing and, and by the end he's dialed in and you're done I mean that's the wrong guy to do that against yeah yeah and and, and going back to New England defense Atlanta, they hadn't scored – they're 28 points. They scored 28 points in week 13, so they went six weeks of scoring more than 28 points. So that was a tremendous defense effort by the Patriots. And as you said, they even had the, you know, the, the problem of, of the Patriots' offense giving up a seven points. So tremendous job by New England's defense. Absolutely, and I, I thought that group played really well. And I mean, by all accounts, or several accounts at least, and who knows if it's true, but it sounded like Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler went to Patricia and Belichick, you know, whenever they were down, having the scoreboard, and said, "Hey, just leave us on islands against these receivers. You know, we don't need the help. You know, and they weren't one on one on Julio, but go ahead and blitz, be aggressive. Let's try to create a big play." We don't need the help, and that was gigantic. You know that all of a sudden, that's not an accident of when you know the Falcons stopped moving the ball with some consistency. It was, those corners are really good, and you know they're a heck of a lot better than the Sanus of the world. And another aspect I thought about Atlanta that was a bit of a letdown it was. Atlanta's offensive line, I didn't think played very well. You know, from start to finish, even though even even when they came out hot and. You know, Alex Mack plays a broken leg, and you know maybe whatever he took before the game started to wear off. And Schrader, the right tackle, got hurt at one point, and they're not great at guard, and certainly wasn't Matthew's best game. So that was one aspect of the Falcons' team that I thought was 
a little lackluster. And to be honest, too, I also didn't expect either team to rush the passer nearly as well as they did. Yeah, those quarterbacks were under distress at times, weren't they? Brady got hit a ton. I mean, if you just watch the game and listen to the announcers, and those guys are fine. I'm not bashing the announcers. But they didn't give credit to the hit after hit that he took for, I mean, majority of the first half, if not more. I mean, Grady, Jarrett, and Freeney's just killing soldier play after play without blitzing. You know, I mean, they're playing man coverage, rushing four, sometimes three, and they're hitting him every play. And I didn't think that was publicized enough as it was happening. Yeah. Were you, you know, were you shocked at that first half or, or even at 28-3 because you thought that the Patriots going to roll over them, right? So that first half, were yeah. you like, holy crap? Yes. I thought, what? I don't know anything. You know, that, uh, you know, I'd analyze this game ad nauseum like everyone else for two weeks. It's the only show in town. And I know that Atlanta can start fast. and But, boy, I did not see that coming. And you look at the Patriots, and a lot of things went wrong for them early. You know, that I didn't expect them to be that bad against the run, those edge runs right off the bat. Uh, I certainly didn't expect the receivers to drop as many passes. I mean, they didn't help Brady at all at the beginning. Like I said, I certainly did not expect the Falcons' pass rush to be a dominant unit for that you know that portion of the game. And, and Brady, I mean, I was asked the other day, Matt, give me a grade on how Brady played just in the first half. You know, give me a one to ten. I said a three. You know, I mean, he was yeah. he wasn't playing well. He was getting hit, and his people weren't helping him. But he missed four or five. Easy throws. Yeah, and that, and that just, I mean, he's the most experienced player in his Super Bowl history, and, and he started slow, so it, it happens, you know. It's, yeah. It's a beautiful part of the game. is It's so, you know, unpredictable. Um, I'm kind of bouncing around here a lot. Now, oh, we're in overtime, and Atlanta, you know, they're on the field all, all game long. Do you think there should be a Super Bowl rule that they should have got another shot to at least try to score a touchdown? I mean, you know, the team won the Super Bowl, the friggin' Super Bowl, in overtime, the first overtime, and it really came down to a coin flip. You know, do they? And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer, and I don't know if it's feasible, and I I think the league will take a long time to change that rule. But, you know, didn't they deserve a shot to maybe – See if they can score a touchdown and keep this thing going. I sort of felt that way watching it. You know, was boy, I don't want it to be over yet. That's a crappy right. way. You know, Matt Ryan never even gets to see the field, and the rule obviously changed recently, so it's better than it was what ten years ago right. or whatever, where a field goal wins it. So right. I guess that's improvement. And who knows? It might take another fifty-one years until it matters again in the Super Bowl. Right. It's not like it's a regular occurrence, obviously. But I kind of felt that way, like, man, the most important thing that happens this entire game is the Pats won the, the coin flip in overtime, and everyone in the stadium and the millions and majillions of people watching know they're going to go down and score. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're hot as hell. Atlanta is mentally Spent. devastated and physically exhausted. And they cruise right down the field. Yeah. With no you know, but I'm not saying it's unfair because no, they hey, it. those are the rules and the flip went their way, and I'm not complaining about that at all. I guess just out of selfishness, I would have liked to see 
Atlanta get a chance. And then if they do it, I don't know. Do you go back to the very original uh, that's a overtime rules and, and first first person to score anything wins? Do you, did you do you flip again and say, okay, winner, you know, you get the ball, and if you score a field goal, you win? Maybe that's the deal. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I felt like there was a – I felt unfulfilled at the end after such an amazing game that – uh, is that it? That's you know, like that was too easy. They won the coin flip, and of course it wasn't. They deserved that. Brady was awesome, and they totally owned that defense at that point. But I wanted to see Matt Ryan out there one more time, you know. And you're right, though. What if Matt Ryan takes him down and they score? Does it end? Does it end up being a college situation? And the Falcons' defense ends up playing 140 snaps, you know, like. Uh, I, I right. don't know what I mean, the answer is. Easier, I felt unfulfilled. You know, it's it's easy for us yet. to say, but these guys are exhausted, you know? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of snaps anyways. Yeah. Man. Um, you know, early in the game, I don't know early in the game, but basically when Brady wasn't playing well, I saw a lot of tweets out there from really respected people saying, oh, well, Joe Montana would have never, Joe Montana never threw a pick six, you know, blah, blah, blah. People, like, starting to really try to bury this guy's legacy. And, like, if they had lost 28-9, to Brady would be getting crapped on right now. And yeah, can't trade Garoppolo. I guess a lot of those ones, too. Better not trade Garoppolo. This guy's done. <laughs> I mean, he won bad half of football against a really athletic D and wasn't getting any help from his offensive line, running game, or receivers. I mean, yeah. his track record going into that game was pretty damn good. He had just carved the Steelers up in an unbelievable fashion. Wasn't great against Houston, but had a great, great year with little around him compared to, you know, some of the all-time greats. And, yeah, I mean, you can compare him to Montana, and that's the highest of prey. I mean, that's comparing somebody to Babe Ruth or Michael Jordan of their sport. I mean, he's a creme de la creme. But, I mean, yeah, Montana may never have thrown a pick six, but how many more passing attempts does Brady have exactly. than Montana in the Super Bowl? Exactly. You know, I mean, he's, and, he's and there that, every And that's a more important stat to me. He threw, he's thrown the most attempts in the Super Bowl by far because that means he's been in more Super Bowls. He has been in seven Super Bowls in 15 full se- healthy seasons of quarterbacking. That's almost half of his career in the Super Bowl. See, to me, that might be the most impressive Brady stat of all. He goes to the Super Bowl every other year. Yeah. To the Super Bowl. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for that long a time, too. It wasn't like a six-year stretch or the Steelers' run or Aikman's run or, you know, I mean, or Montana's run. I mean, he's been doing it for such a long period of time that he averages going every other year. Yeah. Yeah, so when my editor got a hold of me in the third quarter and said, what's your Patriot reaction? I said, you know, it was 28-3. to 3. I said, you know, I'm going to write that Belichick and Brady's legacy is not affected at all by this because they've been right. And then that is, I don't even know if it's validated, but it just, it, it was always became moot. But now there is no, I guess you could argue, had they lost and lost big, I guess you could argue against those guys, but now there's absolutely no way you can humanly even think about starting a conversation that Joe Montana or anybody is better than this guy and Vince Lombardi or anybody is better than Belichick. You can't. It's impossible. The jury's in. They're the best ever. Yes. I mean, you, I think you can make the argument that 
for one game, I would rather have Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre or Joe Montana or Elway or Lombardi or Noel or whoever. But nobody's Who's the resume, most fun? Or, you know, yeah, your favorite. That's fine, but... Yeah, right. You know, no one's resume is close, you know, to either one of those guys, Belichick or Brady. And I'm stealing this from somebody because I, I wish I knew who said it. But it's funny. People say, well, Bradshaw never lost a Super Bowl. Montana never lost a Super Bowl. But... Look at it like from an Olympian standpoint. Aren't silver medals a good thing on your resume? You know, like yeah. going to the Super Bowl and losing it is not a negative to me. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not easy. You know, that that's that's an impressive feat nonetheless. You know, like when we talk about Carl Lewis or Phelps or one of these guys, we say they got 29 golds and 17 silvers or whatever. They're good things. It's not like... I only went to two and I never lost, or I only went to you know I went to four and I never lost. Well, he goes every other year. Yeah, and you know, a great team. Uh, if I'm looking at a baseball standing and a team's got rained out a few, four and zero is better than five and two. But in the Super Bowl, five and two is better than four and zero. I'm sorry, because those yes. are three more incredible feats that it took. He's almost twice as many as Montana and Bradshaw. Right, and he's not done. He's not done. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. And, you know, I mean, Brady's 39. At, at the age that uh, Manning was at 39, he had already fallen off the cliff. And a lot of these guys have fallen off the cliff. But so, And he's still at, at a high level. So I know he says he wants to play in five years. Who knows? But, I mean, I would not be shocked if this happened. If, he falls off the cliff in three years, but it's still three more years, and he can still add because there's, you know, he's still got Belichick and he's still got McDaniel's, and they're still the Patriots. So yeah, I mean, if we're picking who's going to win the Super Bowl right this moment, they're probably our first choice, right? No Let's doubt. And year. I mean, like always, they're going to deal with a lot of change. You know, I mean, there's a, they traded Chandler Jones and Jamie Collins because they have so many defensive free agents. You know, a guy like Blunt might not be back, or Chris Long, or Sheard, or, you know, I'm sure they'll bring back Bennett. Hightower. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're going to be a different team. Bennett, right, right. Branch was a key player. I mean, some of his older dudes might not be back. But they may trade Jimmy Garoppolo for the 12th pick in the draft. I mean, when's the last time they brought in a, a, a first-round pick in the first 20 picks overall? They didn't even have a first-round pick this past year. And right. or, you know, our wealth of draft picks or whatever. And you know they're going to trade their six-round pick for some former first-round pick that didn't work out in his first home, and they're going to bring – they'll sign Adrian Peterson. <laughs> you know I mean, like, they're going to reinvent themselves yet again. I mean, uh, somebody's going to play for less to go there, and, you know, they'll let Blunt go, and they'll sign Adrian Peterson, and, you know, they'll, and Brady will be back, and Belichick will be back, and they'll be great. You know, that's interesting, reinvent themselves. And it's not like they're going to be forced to reinvent themselves. They just may just do it, right? Right. In some way they are forced because people come and steal their coordinators and overspend for their free agents and bring the Patriot way to their building. But I also think Belichick uses that as motivation, too, that whenever you meet together for the 2017 season, he says, guys, look around. You know, there's – 14 of you that won a Super Bowl last year that aren't here anymore. And we lost this coach, and we lost our starting running back. And 
this is not the same team. You know, don't think for any minute that we're just going to moonwalk into the Super Bowl again. We need to work hard. Start over. Right. And the yeah, one thing and- I learned, you know, that through the scouting community that I, I've probably told you this before, too, and I'm sure you've heard it, but, like, if you talk to their scouts that have been on the road for two months and they only come to the facility a couple times a year, they're like, Matt, you, you don't know if they're 12-2 and two or 2-12 two and 12 when you walk in that building. There's not – no one's flashing rings. There's not trophies everywhere. You know, it's just business all the time. Yeah, I, I remember Scott Pioli told me about five years ago when he was in Kansas City and said – you know, one of the reasons I want to win another Super Bowl is because I want to enjoy it. I don't think I allowed myself to enjoy the Super Bowl because I got right to work on the next deal. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and like Belichick said yesterday, we're five weeks behind the 2017 offseason. And, you know, everybody laughed and he's nuts, but that's how he thinks. It is, and you know, although I bet there's some non-truth to that, too. I mean... The whole scouting staff isn't scouting the Falcons. You know, the coaching staff has yet to get involved in the draft and free agency process. But still, there's people in the building that are doing that, no matter what. Right. You know, Belichick has what a worst way of living, man. You're never happy. You're never satisfied. You're always chasing. Always chasing. Yeah, there's like a three-week stretch in July that you go to Disneyland with your kids. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's already thinking about next year, right after winning what. He's going to try to win next year, and he's worried about being behind. And he, no. Yeah, and by his mind, he is behind. He has no idea who the corners are in this draft, or you know, I mean, he—it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about the Falcons for uh, going to a couple other subjects. You know, they—they they had a terrific game overall, and they blew it, and it sucks for them. But they certainly were impressive in a lot of ways. But there's no sure thing this team's going to be back. I mean, you look at all these NFC teams that go to the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, we thought Carolina was going to be, you know, they're 15-1. and Lose the Super Bowl. They go 6-10. and There's no guarantee that Falcons are going to have an easy road back to the Super Bowl. Not at all. And I think that's going to be a pretty decent division, you know, that as Carolina found, they're not just going to steamroll through that division. You mentioned the Panthers, that last year at this time, if we had a conversation, you'd say, boy, they got a young quarterback coming off an MVP season in his prime. They'll be back. They've got, you know, they got a foundation that few can compete with. And I always think of Marino, you know, that, oh, he'll be back. Yeah, he lost to Montana, but, right. geez, this guy's young and here. the world's his oyster and he's going to be phenomenal. He'll be back. He'll win three or four. You know, I mean, and never in the world thought that back then. But it's easier said than done. And Atlanta's in a much different situation than the Patriots where it's hard to find, you know, free agents that matter on that team. You know, so they really are going to bring back their core. But Shanahan's not going to be there. What influence does that have? They, they just – signed, or they're, they're just going to hire uh, Scarcese, and I would say his name wrong, and I don't know enough about him as a play caller. Are they going to keep the exact same offense, or is he going to try to install a new concepts, or are they scrapping everything that Shanahan did? I sure hope not. Yeah, I've read a, I've read a couple little things this morning, so that he's probably going to run the same type of same type of deal, and you know, I don't know how you could hire has, somebody otherwise. He has ties to Pete Carroll, and Right. Obviously, Dan Quinn has ties to Pete Carroll, and they met each other. It sounds like this is kind of the pick, and it was just kind of a quiet thing. So 
you know, I, I kind of like it. I, I think it's a really, I think it's an interesting choice. I mean, from what I understand, he was super highly regarded, fast track, had some off the field issues, you know, Scorsese, and, and has rebounded well and, and sounds to be, you know, obviously the Seattle connection is huge. And I just hadn't read or known, but I, I, just, I took the, I just assumed that you better not scrap this offense. I mean, you got to keep the same verbiage, and you have to adapt around what was here as opposed to the other way around. Right, right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what happened on Saturday. Um, the awards, two awards kind of stuck out to me as a bit surprising. Dak over Elliott, that you think that was a – obviously it was a surprise. you think it was undeserved? Yes. For rookie and of the year? What Dak did was unbelievable and historic and one of the absolute greatest rookie seasons ever, and I don't believe it was just because he had a good offensive line and a good running game. And so I'm a believer. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing him at all. But – and – any tie should go to the quarterback in awards. I get that. Mm-hmm. And, and even less, you know, more lopsided than a tie goes to the quarterbacks or MVPs and all those type of things. But Dak's just a lot better at what he does. Than, or, I'm sorry, Zeke is a lot better at what he does and a lot more effective at what he does than Prescott. Is that always going to be the case? I don't know. I mean, I just think now that – Who's a better running back in the league right now than Zeke Elliott? I mean, I think Le'Veon Bell, I think David Johnson, that might be the end of the road. You know, who's a better quarterback than Dak Prescott? I mean, I can name ten in a heartbeat. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was, you know, like I, I'm very much quarterback partial, so I, you know, when I did my column, who should win, I, I thought about Dak, but, I mean, this guy, this rookie running back, he was the best rookie in the league, so it was, I thought he was rushing by a big margin. Yeah, yeah. The other award that I thought was a little surprising was I don't know if it was surprising, but Mac over Miller by one pick, and I just don't think it was a very spectacular year for individual defensive play, and you know, and everybody missed J.J. Watt, I think. Yeah, it's well said. You know, I honestly didn't give that one a lot of thought. You know, it just kind of got the blurb on my phone. Mac won it, and I said, oh, okay. I mean, I got no qualms with it. Would he have been my choice? I'm not sure. I think it's easy to forget that the first month of the season, he wasn't spectacular. You know, he wasn't at that level. Honestly, the guy that gets shortchanged is Aaron Donald. I mean, to me, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the league with Watt out of the equation. But he's a Ram, and they don't win, and he's a defensive tackle, and, you know, it's a tough road to win. But I think he's the best player in the league on that side of the ball. But he's unspectacular, and he's not going to win that award, right? But, I mean, if you watch 15 minutes of film, or even better yet, watch hours and hours of film, he's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Let's close it up with a little Hall of Fame talk. Um, that was surprising, too. And I, I had talked to some voters last week, who, and, and they kind of gave me the hint that this is going to be muddled and it's going to be really unpredictable. And I think Morton Anderson and Terrell Davis really played to that unpredictability. Um, do you have a problem with a kicker being in the, in the Hall of Fame and a kicker being 
voted ahead of a guy like Terrell Dave, uh, Terrell Owens? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a. I, I've said it like this with Morton Anderson over and over that if the question is, does Morton Anderson deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? I think the answer is yes. But that's not how the process works. I mean, you have to vote him. I mean, you have to choose him over somebody else or several other players. And to me, there was five guys that didn't get in. I mean, even like an Alan Fanica that are more deserving to have a bust in the Hall of Fame than Anderson, which doesn't detract from anything he did. And it would have to be a really down class for him to get my vote. As for Owens... See, that one drives me crazy. I mean, if, if truly what the the voting criteria is is how good a football player you are, he's ahead of all of them, you know, except for maybe Tomlinson. But, I mean, he's the easiest vote of all of them to me. I mean, how many receivers are better than T.O. in the history of the game? Three, maybe? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, right. I heard the argument that he detracted from his team as much as he added to it. And I guess there's some stock in that. And I also know that you know this better than I do, that the Hall of Fame process, some one, one writer presents you. So right. if you're Bob Lilly or Joe Green or you know, Joe Montana and, or you know, somebody that played for one team and that guy comes up and you know, that writer says, you know, I watched Ken Stabler every snap and this is why he should be a Hall of Famer. I wonder these guys that change teams a lot, which happens more, and T.O.'s a perfect example, who's really vouching for him? You know, I mean, the process doesn't help him. Yeah, interesting point, because it's supposed to be the guy from your city. So I guess San Francisco. for him? Or? Yeah, yeah. I, I could find that out pretty easily. But that's a, that's a good point. But, there, you know, discussion is welcome. So... You know, the guy sure. from Philly and the guy from Dallas, they're, they're certainly welcome to, to chime in. Um, but, it, yeah, it's a tough process, and, and I do think, I mean, I don't want to speak out of school or open a can of worms, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's like anything else. There's probably some popularity involved as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think the biggest problem is, and I, and I don't know if it's a problem because I think the Hall of Fame needs to continue to be the best of the best, the very, very, very elite, a very small percentage of any everybody who stepped onto a field belongs in the Hall of Fame. But that creates its own problem, is that you can only let in five modern-era guy, modern guys a, a year. So there's, every year there's going to be arguments and controversy and, and log jams. And there's also that whole thing of, yeah, we love you, we know you'll get in, but sorry, can't give you the first ballot. You know, like, only special players get the first ballot, even though you're just as deserving. Like, how did Marvin Harrison not get in right away? <laughs> I mean, right. it, it, come on, you know, what's the guy supposed yeah. to do? I mean, and T.O., I mean, I, I guess I get the whole T.O. thing of nobody likes you, nobody wants to vouch for you, where's your team? Every team that had you wanted to get rid of you, so you can't be as valuable as... Curtis Martin, or you know somebody that everyone was loving, you know. But right. Yeah, I mean, I, I have two points to your comment. I, I think it's, it's right on. Is that you're going to create more Ken Stablers? Where yeah, we're, okay, we're going to get you in, we're going to get you in, but we're going to get you in a year after you die of cancer. You know, I mean. Yeah. Let's Part come of it's on. Flawed just because. Why is there a certain number that has to get in? 
Why can't think eight get in? Yeah, I think it's just to keep you know, just to keep it an elite deal. Um, I don't know if seven a year would seven a year more than five would obviously speed up the process for guys and create less controversy. But I don't know if the Hall of Fame worries that it'll get too big. And I'm not talking about space. I'm just talking about right. you know the honor Water itself. Down. But here's so, the yeah, deal. Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis has been a finalist for like ten years. He's no more. His career did not get any better this year. Right, <laughs> he right. did not rush for two thousand yards this year. He's the same guy that he was ten years ago. So he's not any more deserving now than he was ten years ago. If you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer, right? Exactly. Exactly. And. There's going to be years where, okay, I'm going to take Bettis over him. Okay, you know, and you, you, you feel like both as a Hall of Famer. And, you know, I'm just thinking about running backs have gone in lately, Curtis Martin or Bettis or Tomlinson, you know, that, okay, I like those guys better. I mean, personally, I don't think Terrell Davis is a Hall of Famer, but that's a different story. The one thing I would do differently that they do, though, is I would have a different category for non-players. Every year, I think, you know, that, I think Jerry Jones took a spot that he kind of doesn't deserve. Like I think Jerry no, actually Jones... not. They, they they changed that this two years ago where it's contributors. So they pick two con- contributor candidates, and they get in or they don't get in. And it doesn't affect the five modern day guys. Okay, okay. Because the way so, I would have yeah, structured so, it is, yeah, one non-player every year goes, whether that's a commissioner, one or two. Yeah, yeah, okay. and it's yeah, it's. A, it's contributor, so um, one non coaches and coaches and players are in the same boat, though. Head coaches are. Yes. See, I don't think that's right either. You know, I would put yeah. head coaches in with owners and commissioners, and you know, I would I, I would put in one non-player every year. Yeah. Yeah, and and then and they do the senior deal every year too. You know, kind of so, uh, again. The thing about it is, there's going to be more argument next year, and every because there's so many deserving people. But and I know they have a tough job, and, and it's certainly not easy. But when you leave out a guy like Terrell Owens, and he's the number two list in the all time, you open yourself up for some for some backlash. And he'll get in, and I think it's just we can't give it to you on the first ballot because we don't like you. you know, yeah, but he, then he doesn't help himself with. No. I don't care if I ever get in tweets, you know? <laughs> right. You know, you got to respect you know, the organization. It's like, play the game. Because it's this, this going to piss some of those guys off, right or wrong. Well, I don't think it's right at all. But And so you're not helping your case, you know? No, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think that's yeah. in order. So anyway. Well, cool. Well, hey, we've got through the season. So now it's on to the off, the off season, which we both said is our favorite part of the year. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty excited. I'm, I kind of feel like today is, uh, is I'm turning the, the books into 2017. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm slamming the door on the Super Bowl. It's time to start thinking about who's going to be free agents, do draft prep. You know, what all these teams' approach is going to be the off season. And I love it. that's one of my favorite things is to look through the eyes of if I was in charge of the Chiefs, what moves? How would I address things? Right. Yeah, those are some those are some fun stories to write and fun stories for people to read because everybody else is looking ahead, you know. Right. I mean, there's 31 teams out there that are unhappy with their season. Right. Exactly. So cool. Well, we'll start that next week, Matt. Great show. Appreciate it. And we will talk next week. Thanks to everybody for listening to the No Relation NFL podcast with Matt and Bill Williamson. <laughs>